Hi, and welcome to the No IT Podcast, the place where you get to know IT so you can own IT. My name is Brian Brackett, and our main topic of discussion today is going to be facial recognition software. I'm going to describe some of the uses and capabilities of this technology. I'm also going to lay out some of the concerns that come with such a powerful search tool. And I'm also going to dispel some of the rumors that the media has spread about this technology because it's often misunderstood and it has incredible uses when it is rendered responsibly. But first, I want to give credit where credit is due. And that is to BTI Communications Group, whose first and primary goal is to deliver the foremost level of technical quality that can be delivered to both the government and the private business sectors. So if there is a project that your company or agency is looking to implement, give BTI Group a call today. Go to btigroup.com, click the banner in the top of the homepage, and schedule a free network assessment today. They're your hacks of the week. Pentest Partners, website and network penetration testing service, has discovered a vulnerability in many of the no-name brand smartwatches that are used to track children and dementia patients. Um, These are the more low-end devices that are often found for little cost on Amazon. They were able to immobilize a vehicle as well as send an alert to patients that it's time for them to take their pills. They found that through the Set Tracker app, which is used as a back-end interface for many of the devices, it supports automotive trackers that you know are embedded in the head units that authorities and companies can use to stop a vehicle that has been stolen or uh, retrieve a stolen vehicle. Anyway, but it's also used in medical trackers for the elderly. And this particular vulnerability could lead to patients overdosing on their medication due to the fact that they often wouldn't be able to remember if they had taken their medicine already. It should be noted that there are no current documented cases of this happening in real life. It is still something to be aware of when choosing types of devices that you give to your parents or your grandparents. And this is just one of the vulnerabilities the study found. So I'm going to include the link to the Pentest Partners blog post that detail the study's findings. It's really interesting and I encourage you to check it out. The link will be in the show description. According to Yahoo, President Trump has recently gave secret authorization to the Central Intelligence Agency expanding the agency's authorizations to launch cyber attacks on countries considered enemies of the United States. It's the usual suspects of Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. They're all listed. But previous findings have focused more along the lines of foreign policy objectives, like preventing Iran from becoming a nuclear power. Now the agency has been given total authorization with no oversight or having to check in with the White House to launch attacks on critical infrastructures of our enemies, like hacking their electrical grid, sabotaging intelligence operations by leaking intelligence documents, you know, you name it. It really gives them the ability to, to launch a Struxnet type attack. And if you're not familiar, in 2009, the United States and Israel hacked Iran's nuclear centrifuges used to enrich uranium gas for its nuclear program. Does that sound familiar? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Iran was accusing Israel of hacking their factoring facilities that build the central fuses. And Israeli was played coy and they were like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But it's not necessarily always us. We just don't think that you guys are capable of doing your jobs. Anyway, in a story coming out of InfoSecurity magazine, new research coming from the tech website Comparatech shows 24 million records have been leaked by U.S. schools and colleges since 2005. 
K-12 school districts have suffered 1,327 breaches over the last 15 years, with last year being an all-time high. According to the research, 45.9% of the leaks are due to hacks, and I wonder how many of those are just students trying to change their grades. But, you know, human error accounts for 21% of those as well in K-12 and 27 and a third percent in colleges. Theft or loss of devices comes in at 11.1% in K-12 schools and 14% in colleges. But overall, 74% of the leaks were targeted colleges and universities. But this leads us into our next story, which is the FBI released a warning to local school districts to update cybersecurity systems as distance learning increases the opportunity for the learning process to be disrupted by hackers. And the example that the FBI gives is a type of virus that holds computer systems and data hostage until a a designated amount of money is paid. That's basically ransomware. Opportunities for hacks like this are looming as we look at the prospect of another year of distance learning and school closures. This is the type of thing that a adversary of the United States could use to affect our learning, which will set us back as a country intellectually and limit our scientific research and all the different things that we do here in the United States, the next generation coming up. So to me, this is a big deal. It should be a big deal to you as well, because kids, your kids are going to be faced with this type of education this year. And the FBI is kind of is giving them a heads up saying, hey, you guys need to update your cybersecurity practices. You need to make sure that they're solid before the school year starts because you guys are new targets. And, you know, it's not even really new. But ultimately, if we want our kids to be able to learn, they need to make sure that they are updating their cybersecurity practices. And with that, let's move into our main topic of the day. Hey, guys. Don't let your school districts or educational institutions become a victim of these cyber attacks and disrupt your learning process. If you have any question whatsoever, if your cybersecurity practices are up to date and current, please do not hesitate to reach out to BTI Communications Group today. Time is of the essence. Go to btigroup.com, click the banner in the top of the homepage, and schedule your free network assessment today. All right, now that we're done with the news... Today's topic is one that's both polarizing and controversial. The media likes to blow it up, and as with most things within the media, they speak in half-truths. The topic is facial recognition software, which is a type of software that uses certain attributes of your face, like your eyes, your neck, your ears, and your overall shape of your head, and it removes those features digitally and then searches through a database for examples of the closest available match. But multiple factors come into play to make it work. The further away from the object that you are and the height of the camera, as well as the field of view, have a lot to do with this. It's much more difficult and less effective to have a facial match from a camera covering a large area of a mall, but much easier and effective when the face is close to the camera, like when you go to an ATM machine or you walk directly by a camera that's mounted on a door, like, you know, those little doorbell cameras. For reference, Surveillance video, in order for it to be used as evidence in a case, the prosecutor needs a minimum of 150 megapixels per foot to positively identify a face or license plate, and 75 megapixels per foot to positively identify a vehicle or a body. The key to the case is in the strength of the evidence. Obviously, the clear, higher resolution image of a face is much stronger evidence than a clip of you walking past a camera from 100 feet away. There are other variables that come into play, but this example and explanation gives a good idea of the difficulties and level of detail required to have a system like this work. But before we get ahead of ourselves or dive any deeper, let's establish a basic understanding of what drives this technology and its uses. 
Facial recognition is the ability to search multiple streams of video at one time. Based on uploaded databases of photos, driver's license, employee ID badges, etc., it uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to teach the system what it's looking at. Let's start with defining what AI and machine learning really are, because if you don't have a basic understanding of both terms, you're going to get lost. Artificial intelligence is the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, like visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, or you know translations between languages. Clearly, it's not solely used for facial recognition, but you know with continual research, it's going to develop more. It is being implemented in all sorts of areas to advance capability, but it also relies on machine learning. And machine learning is the practice of computers using algorithms to improve based on experience and input from the human that's controlling the system. The two things are interconnected to the point where they are often used together. Back in the day, a computer was basically an input-output device where given a command, the computer then displays the result of that particular command. Think writing a Word document or searching a website, viewing video from a camera system. Whereas computers nowadays have the ability to analyze the command and show you options of what it thinks you were trying to do. Think like autocorrect in Word or your phone suggesting destinations based on your routine. Computers are essentially replicas of the human brains now. Using perception and speech recognition, the AI portion is effectively the part of your brain that allows you to perceive a cat as a cat or a dog as a dog and so on. Machine learning is the part of the brain that learns the differences between the breeds of dogs or cats, allowing you to discern the differences based on the visual perceptions provided by the AI side. Now that you know the differences, and because it's the most talked about and popular usage case, we're going to shift into facial recognition software that are, that are native to a lot of camera systems installed. Facial recognition uses AI and machine learning to search a database that presents an object that closely match the search criteria selected by the human user. The process works a little bit like this. First, the human, or the end user, uploads photos and information into the camera's database. The system then searches multiple camera video streams across the entire network, presenting matches to the desired search criteria. This can be anything from employee ID numbers, photos, clips of video, descriptions. The system then will detect the object or the face and head shape of the individual. Then once it searches the database for images that match, it'll then provide an estimated percentage of how confident the system is in having found a match and also ask you whether this is a successful match or not. There are two primary areas where this technology is used. One is the private business sector, the other being the government level. That's your local police departments, that's your city halls, that's your libraries, any building, any entity that interacts or is managed by a government agency will use and have access to this technology. We're going to start out with business because there's a lot less to unpack there. Now, business in, or the private sector use the software to verify employees' identities to allow them access to certain spaces within the building. It's also a huge asset to expediting human resource investigations with the constantly changing regulations while our country navigates its fight of COVID-19 virus. It'll recognize a person walking around and alert an administrator of any time an employee is not wearing a mask around the office. Likewise, it'll do a similar scan to make sure that employees are following proper social distancing guidelines. So it's a tremendous asset to the business world. And when you link these systems with the access control, the cameras and the alarm system, you were able to verify that the person swiping the badge is the person whose badge is supposed to be swiped. 
because that is when you run into security issues when you're having employees using bosses or their manager's badges to go do something in the restricted access room in the nuclear storage room or what have you. Right now, the technology can be the difference between a business remaining open or having to shut down as a result of noncompliance with the guidelines. So we can all agree that that's a pretty major focus right now. 2020 seems to be all about survival, and this is a tool that can aid in your survival. Now, on the government side, the government agencies will use this technology with similar capabilities, but far more power than any business due to the mere size and scope of the networks they're able to access. Any cameras that you see throughout the city are all linked together on IP networks, whether it's one network going across the entire city or if they're isolated and separated based on regions, that would make the most sense to me. But all of their devices being spread out over such a vast area and able to be searched all at one time gives them a tremendous amount of power. And with traffic cameras throughout the city, giving the administrator, the officer, the ability to track a person's movement every time they pass by a camera. So that can be your traffic light camera that's watching license plates and making sure people don't blow red lights. That can be, you know, an overall camera just on top of a building, on top of the city library or on top of city hall, you know, what have you. Any camera throughout the city can pick you up and they can search. If given access, the police can search cameras or of businesses and even homes to find who they need to find. They have the ability to search these by license plate numbers, a person's face, hair color, clothes color, and type of clothing. So like if you're wearing shorts or you're wearing a pants, you're carrying a backpack, you're wearing a hoodie, it even goes as far as allowing them to search based on your ethnicity, your age, and your gender. If you're the person that they're looking for, odds are you're going to pass by these cameras at one point or another, and they will find you. Now, there are some limitations here. Limitations are in effect in the fact that the system will still requires human input to set the search criteria and teach the database what is right and wrong. Also, there are slight limitations to governmental usage due to the regulations being written and put in place. This tech is so new that the state and local governments, at least here in California, are banning its use until the clearer regulations are written. This is tremendously powerful, and it needs to be regulated. So with these concerns, there's been talk that AI algorithms are inherently racially biased. And although I I can't speak on that directly myself, what I do know for sure is that a human is the one who's driving the search. It's a human who enters the search criteria, who teaches the system what are correct and incorrect matches within the search. And humans, as we are realizing, are themselves subconsciously biased one way or another. The fact alone should require more consistent racial and sexual discrimination classes to give users the knowledge that they need to recognize and fix the bias within the system. Privacy is another area where there's, there's a lot of concern. The ability of businesses and agencies to effectively track your movements, reconstructing your day or days, has many people worried about them, quote, spying on us. I listened to a TED Talk on this very subject where the speaker brought up the fact that agencies can track all citizens who are attending Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I'd be lying to you if I told you that I haven't thought along the same lines at one point or another. Ultimately, what is going to ease those concerns will be more stringent and clear regulations on how and when these systems can be used. Along with cooperation 
and discussion from both citizens and government leadership to iron out the details of what is right and wrong. We can't allow technology to consume us, changing the way that we think and act as if our parents are constantly watching over our shoulder. Along with restrictive regulations on usage, there also needs to be a substantial amount of training and education of administrators as well as end users controlling the system. They need to be made aware of the subconscious bias humans are prone to have while also being taught how to be aware and recognize those biases when they're found. We are smack in the middle of the second industrial revolution and like the last one, time will tell how it impacts our day-to-day lives. We can't allow technology to get to a point where it renders humans inhuman. Our actions now will dictate what our future looks like for our generations to come. That's it. That's all. Another episode in the books. I just want to thank one final time BTI Communications Group, who's been a tremendous partner within this podcast and a tremendous partner to clients all across the United States. Another episode in the books, and I really appreciate you guys listening. Hopefully I was able to give you a little bit more insight into what facial recognition technology is capable of. It is a very powerful tool that when used correctly can accomplish tremendous results for our society and our businesses. I I encourage you to like, rate, and subscribe the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on. But really, wherever you are and however you're listening, I'm extremely grateful. And thank you for joining me for the No IT Podcast, the place where you get to know IT so you can own IT. Have a great day and take care.